that uh, you command the highest praise. And so, Lord, I would ask right now that we wouldn't give you what's left over from the week. We wouldn't give you part of us, part of our heads, part of our hearts right now this morning. God, I pray we'd lean big time into you right now. we give it all right here, full attention before your full righteousness. You are, you are Jesus. You are the Savior. You are the Holy King. And therefore, we stand amazed. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Ladies, I wanted to leave our slide up from Mother's Day from last Sunday up. Uh, uh, women, uh, warriors for Christ, right? That's, uh, that's what we're pursuing after. I mean, it applies to all of us, but um, I just want to let you know again, uh, we love you, ladies. Um, we want to be a church that uh, presses you towards the Savior deeper and deeper ways. And as we talked about last week, so much of life sometimes uh, can be about the battles. But uh, as we were talking at the end of Joshua chapter 8, it's about the war. And the war is the battle for your heart. There's a war out for your heart. And as we discussed, uh, you, you can win battles of life, but ultimately lose the war. And we want to be after the war. There's something going after your heart. There's a battle for your heart. And as we just sang, as was saying for us, uh, ultimately, it's to be only Jesus. Jesus' heart is what we want to have more and more. Ladies, we love you and grateful for you. And let me just set a background here for Joshua, uh, kind of a, a, a review um, up into Joshua chapter 8, okay? You ready? You ready? All right, Joshua 1 to 8, here are some of the events that took place. Uh, as we move into Joshua, what's taking place is the, uh, the Israelites, after 40 years of wandering, have come up and they're uh, basically on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, they call this the Transjordan area. They've come up over on that side um, after 40 years of wandering. They've already taken control of uh, that portion, most of that portion of uh, territory. Chapter 1, we find them getting ready, preparing their provisions to cross the Jordan River. Chapter 3, they cross the Jordan River, uh, the flooding Jordan River. Remember, half mile back, the Ark of the Covenant is carried out in the middle. The water's just, people walk across dry ground. Tenth day of the first month on the promised land. Fourteenth day of the first month, they have Passover, the flint knife, already come out the whole deal going on. Uh, chapter 6, then we find them the battle of Jericho. God is the warrior. Uh, they just are told to go walk. They just walk and trust. And God is the conquering warrior in, uh, in the battle of Jericho in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7 and 8, uh, we find two battles uh, at this place called Ai. And the uh, first one doesn't go well. There's a problem in the camp. Achan sinned. Achan had stolen uh, some of the things from Jericho, taken it and buried it under his tent. God said not to do that. And uh, uh, the second battle at Ai goes better. They're back on track. And then the end of chapter 8, last Sunday, we talked about, 
about how they go up to Shechem. They go up to where there's uh, uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim and, and kind of like this one mile radius amphitheater made by nature. And, and there they are and they build an altar and they write uh, the, the Moses' laws on the altar talking about how, listen, the, the ancient laws, they're not just ancient laws, they're our laws written in our own font on our altar and just a rededication and reclaiming what the reality is in their walk before Yahweh. And that takes place at Shechem. And, and all of this has been so much, and rightly so, uh, kind of coming from the Israelites' vantage point as we walk along with them. And one of the things that's interesting in chapter 9 is we take a little bit of a curve, and now we begin to see things from the vantage, actually, of some people outside of the Israelites. What's going on with them? What are they doing? And it turns our attention to those people who are living over in the western side of uh, the Jordan River in the promised land. And let's pick up in Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. All right, you ready? Bible's open, uh, 1 and 2. We're big about the Bible around here. And uh, let's go at it, verses 1 and 2. Uh, as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, in other words, the promised land, and here are the people, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. We'll talk about that in just a second. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. By the way, it's very interesting in all this. You see so much in Joshua. I haven't talked about it a whole lot, but uh, it says not just Israel, but against Joshua and Israel. There's such a king thing that goes on here, and leadership is very, very important before the Lord, and, and what happens with leaders. Uh, God uh, carries on a number of things. But we see here in verse 1, there's six main people groups over in the promised land. And uh, they come together and uh, they are the Hivites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Jebusites. They, they weren't very creative in the whole name thing, were they? Uh, but essentially everybody west of the, uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, uh, west of the Jordan River. Uh, they heard of this, verse 1 says, heard of what? Well, maybe on the map, I would kind of put it this way. They, they heard of all this action. Uh, they've heard, and we'll hear of them a little bit more later, that they've heard about the whole exodus out of Egypt. Some 40 years ago, they've heard about this stuff. And they've heard about coming in and the crossing of the Jordan. They've heard about Jericho. They've heard about the battle of Ai. And it, the, I think the text is opening to let us know this vantage point from what about the people over in the promised land? And what are they seeing and, and what are they thinking and now what are they going to do about it? Uh, so what do these city-states do? Well, they join forces to fight. And it's like, okay, boys, you're coming into our property. It's time to go at it here. Uh, what's so interesting about this is when we had gone over in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, it actually in the text there told us that all the people in that area, that their hearts melted and their spirit was gone. I mean, they had heard what God had done. They had heard what Yahweh had done. And basically people are like, we're doomed. We're dead meat. I mean, something is happening here. And what do we do about this? But it's intriguing to me here. It's like now that these six groups come together and it's like, okay, boys, uh, time to bring out the brawn and let's go at this whole scenario and situation. I just ask why? I mean, why now in light of Joshua 5.1 when their hearts melted? I don't know. I'm going to just propose two possibilities. Number one is that they're all there and they're like, we're going to die. So let's go down fighting. I mean, I, I get that. I'd, I'd be with them on that. 
Uh, another in this is it's very possible that they heard about the loss of the first battle at Ai. Now think about this. They heard about the Israelites had lost the first battle at Ai, and maybe that just motivated them. Maybe that gave them some hope that, hey, maybe we can take these guys out. Because that happened after Joshua chapter 5. And friends, I don't have time to go into the depth of it, but I just want to bring this point out on the table. And that is that Achan's sin went a long way. A long way. All the way potentially to the point to where the people who are in the promised land are motivated. That in light of the loss, because of Achan's sin, that now they may be motivated to let's go at him and, and take him out. It's just interesting how it is. Sin goes deep and sin goes wide. Let's remember that. Regardless of the reason for it, these people want him out. I mean, here they want the Israelites coming into their land. They want them out. It hasn't changed, has it? It's the exact same thing today. And uh, it's important for you to understand because I don't think a lot of people really understand with the news and stuff what's going on. It's understandable from a human standpoint why people over in the Middle East say, we want the Israelites out because we were here first. True? I mean, that's what we see happening right here. From a human standpoint, I, I understand that. I understand that sentiment that they might have. But, but please understand this, that who owns the land? God does. And, and two things are happening right now. Number one, judgment is taking place. We've talked about that in the past. Genesis 15, 16, uh, when uh, Abraham getting the promise of the covenant and in there, God says, I'm going to wait for a period of time until the end of all of their sin comes to a place where I'm done with it and God is going to judge the people there and that's what's happening here. So the Israelites are coming in and taking over these people. And that's why when the text tells us, as we'll see, that it's like, no, you're to take all of their lives. This is judgment coming upon the people who are existing there because they have had centuries and centuries and centuries of opportunity to turn themselves over to the Lord. And yet they've continued to reject Yahweh. So it's a judgment, but it's also a blessing. God owns the land. And God has said, I want my people to have that land. And so then they come in, and they're coming in, taking the land that is God's land for them. I'm just going to tell it's the Bible is so relevant today. You won't understand modern news and events going on in the Middle East if you don't understand this stuff. Because I'll tell you what, the people who live over there, this is exactly what they're thinking. And this is why they want them out. This is what's going on. So uh, out of the modern day news, let's go back to the text. Uh, verse 3, chapter 9. All of a sudden, uh, in this, there's these six nations, or six city-states. They're coming together, but then there's these really creative people. Verse 3, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning. Okay. The inhabitants of Gideon. We're going to find out in verse 17, but just so you understand, this is like a four-city area here you can see on the map. There's these four cities here right in this area. And this area here is actually the, the uh, Hivite uh, uh, group in, in that area. And, and they come out of that. And they act with cunning, the text tells us. Uh, this is, they're, they're shrewd about this. They're really smart about this. And, and what we're going to see happen here is essentially it's like, okay, you've got these six city-state groups of people in the promised land. They're all coming together. And it's like, let's go, br let's go brawn them to death. And then you've got these guys, they're like, you know what? Bad plan. 
Bad plan. You know what you got to do? You got to brain them to death. Or you brain them to survival. Watch. Watch what happens here. I love these guys. I love people that think. I love people that strategize. They on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out socks for their donkeys. Wait. <laughs> they, maybe they did. <laughs> or they took worn out sacks for their donkeys. It is dark up here. And wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out uh, patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. They're back down a little bit south, uh, just near Jericho. They're at Gilgal. And said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Now make a covenant with us. Oh, I love this. I love this. Uh, Here's what's so stunning about this. That opening statement tells us that these people knew of God's laws. These people are not just making this up, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you here with it. In fact, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Make a left in your Bible, maybe about 15, 20 pages over, to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And this group of people somehow knew of this that was written in Deuteronomy 20 and, and really kind of all scattered throughout Deuteronomy. And I want for us to see it here so that we're aware. Now, in Deuteronomy from chapter 5 to chapter 26, Moses is speaking to the Israelites. This is some 40 years earlier from where we're in Joshua. And Moses is speaking to the Israelites. They are not in the promised land yet. And chapter 5 to 26 is kind of all the stipulations that Moses lays out. I mean, after all, They've never had land. They've been slaves in Egypt. Now they're just wandering all over, you know, desert come and all this kind of stuff. And, and so here they are in the situation. Moses is telling him, listen, when you get in the promised land, this is the kind of stuff that has to happen and how war is to take place. So we get Deuteronomy 20 verse 10. And Moses says to the Israelites some 40 years earlier, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. That's interesting because they never did that in Jericho. And they never did that at Ai. What's happening here? Verse 11, And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you, and they shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. Now, to understand this, go to verse 15. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you. Okay, what what was just read? That's how they're supposed to handle people that are very far from them. Let's keep reading. Uh, That are very far from you, which are not cities in the nations here, uh, but in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. In other words, in the promised land, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. Uh, The word, the Hebrew word used there is talking about uh, this idea of judgment. And look at the list. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. As the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all of their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. You see, in the promised land, God out of Genesis 15, 16 has said, I'm done. I've given them time. It's now time to bring judgment in them. They've gotten to the place where it's been sin upon sin upon heaping and piling. And they've just got to be judged and taken out because otherwise they're going to corrupt my people. And that's what's happening in Deuteronomy 20. And here's the cool thing. 
the people in Joshua 9, this four city group Gibeonite people, they knew that. They had to have known that. Because otherwise, why would they do this whole punk deal? Why would they get dressed up and put socks on their donkeys? And, you know, why, why would they do these things? If, if this, they were setting it up because they didn't, they lived like a day's walk away. But they set it up to come in and punk these guys, thinking they're far distant off. And so they say, whoa, we're from a long ways to just look at us. And then they say, make a covenant with us. Why would they say that? Because of Deuteronomy 20. These people know God's laws somehow. Listen, Yahweh is big enough to get his word out. Now, that does not take away our responsibility to be people that go. But do know this, God is going before. And these people have heard, and we'll see a little later in the chapter, they know an amazing amount of stuff of what's happened. So somehow these Hivite, Hivites, these, these pagan people, uh, have come to understand that there's this divine wipeout thing going on, but they've also come to learn there's a loophole. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is Americans right here. I mean, this goes all the way back to the founding of our country. Uh, when you do some history work. You find out we're so creative and, and, and all this kind of stuff and things. And, and they find a loophole, just like lawyers would do. And they knew that a loophole was involving with cities that were far off and they would make peace with them. And then they could be their servants. And they're like, and from their perspective, better to be a servant than dead. That's what they're thinking. And that's why this is going. Big time major props to these guys. Now, you may be saying, Doug, I'm kind of bothered that you think these guys are so creative and awesome because they've lied. They have. But let me just hold here for a second. What do you expect? These are unredeemed people. Well, why is it? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you understand like Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, when you understand that, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the noetic effect, the noose effect of sin on mankind and all that kind of thing, why is it that we get surprised when people sin? Why is it that we get surprised when unredeemed people who have not placed themselves under Yahweh, under the Lord, lie? Why are we surprised by that? Seriously. This is who they are. This is where they are. This is as Ephesians chapter 2. They are, New Testament terminology, they are sons of disobedience. Without Christ. That's your home. And so they're just doing what? True? Listen, we need to think biblically through these processes. Why are we surprised when people without Christ would lie or deceive? So they're just saving their tails. They're in a pickle. And so what do they do? They lie. Let me just add, if your boss or a family member or a friend or if a government official is not redeemed in Christ, why are we surprised when they lie? Hey folks, 
I just want to challenge us. We need to see things and understand life through a prism of biblical truth and good theology. We're to love them, but why are we surprised when that happens? And what I love here out of this fact is God has gotten knowledge of his word to these people who he has already if you will, given a judgment call on. It just reminds me, listen, God is not out there yearning and laughing and loving over people that reject him. God is out there doing everything he can to help people understand him, know about him. Are they using God's word in selfish ways? Yeah, they are. But I think it's just so cool that Yahweh is making himself known to these people. Even if they abuse it, God is getting his words into their minds. Am I saying lying is okay? No. Hear me, kids? No. All right? Parents are like, Phew. But I am saying that these people heard from Yahweh about Yahweh. And I love that. I'm also saying that there was a beginning fear of God in these folks' minds. And we'll see that a little later on. And I'm also saying God's purposes are bigger than our purposes. Even when his word and even when he is misused and abused, God is big enough that his glory will still resound out of it all. Well, let's keep reading. Let's pick up verse 7. But the men of Israel, these are Joshua and the Israelites, uh, said to the Hivites, because this group of people are Hivites, perhaps you have, perhaps you live among us. Whoa, what does that tell us right now? They are thinking. They're asking the right kind of a question. Wait a second. Maybe you are trying to punk us. Perhaps you live among us. How do we know that? They're asking the right questions. Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? I would say right now they're thinking biblically because they are thinking Deuteronomy 20. Listen, they know that if you're within this territory, God, Deuteronomy 20, has told them to wipe them out. But if they're outside of that, they deal in a different way. So they are trying to size this whole thing up. I think they're spot on right at this point. Spot on. They're asking the right questions. Wait a second. How do we know you're not from within our people and you're punking us? And on top of that, because if you are within it, we can't give you a covenant. Uh, they're right on. Spot on. Way to go, guys. Then they said to Joshua, we are your servants. Why would they say that? Deuteronomy 20. Do you remember Deuteronomy 20? Because if you make an agreement with them and then that happens, then they will essentially be servants. They'll be, you know, woodcutters and so forth. And so they're like, they know the law. And they come in and say, far country, please make a covenant with us and we'll be your servants. They got this deal down. This is amazing. Verse eight, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? <laughs> Good question. He's not sold and he's not bought in that easily. Wait a second, who are you? And wait a second, where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, that code words, your servants, code words, have come because of the name of the Lord your God. Code words. You know, when people start talking about Jesus, 
talking about the Lord, isn't it? You're just like, I'm right there with you, man. This is, this is a con deal, straight up. And then look at the next line. I love it. For we have heard a report of him. That is cool, folks. That is very cool. God goes before. And all that he did in Egypt. They've heard about the Lord. They've heard about the Lord has done some 40 years ago. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth. Uh, what they're talking about on the other side of the Jordan, now they're referring to the east side of the Jordan in the Transjordan area. And they're also saying, not only did we hear what God did some 40 years ago, but we've heard what God has done recently on the other side of the Jordan River. So our elders... And all our inhabitants of our country said to us, uh, this is a lie, uh, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day. Wait a second. It was probably warm when they took it out of the oven because they like left that morning from their house, but not quite true. Uh, for the journey to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. Amazing what happens in eight hours. Uh, these wineskins were new when we filled them, lie, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, verse 15, and Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation Swore to them. Wow. Chapter 14, the latter half. But they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Hey, if you're a marker in your Bible, I am. Please underline that star, that circle, it, mark it, because that's the center issue in the whole chapter. The center issue in the whole chapter. They did not seek counsel from the Lord. I just question for all of us. How do you tell the difference between reality and a ruse? I mean, how do you tell the difference between worldly repentance and godly repentance as Corinthians talks about? I mean, how do you tell the difference between real faith and false flattery? How do you tell the difference between truth and untruth? And may I remind us that the scripture tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And scripture also tells us that Satan is like an angel of light. He wants to look like the right thing and pull you in. So how do you discern what is true? I, I would suggest three things. Number one, you ask good questions. You just ask good questions. Ask good questions about scenarios. Secondly, you carefully consider the situation. You just, what's going on in the situation? Are the pieces in place? Are they fitting together? And third, I would say, think through scripture. Wait a second. What does God word, God's word have to say about this situation and about this scenario? Let me give you some examples. Say you're considering uh, dating someone or you're considering to marry somebody here. Uh, let me just go through those. Ask good questions. Ask good questions of them. Ask good questions of yourself in them. Uh, give careful thought to the scenario. What's this guy? What's this girl really like in life and situations? Have you observed them enough to be able to kind of go, you know, my radar's there? And then third, what does scripture have to say about it? What does scripture have to say about dating? 
Well, I opened my concordance and I didn't see the word dating. Oh, it's in there, friends. It's in there, and especially with marriage. I mean, my goodness, just go to Ephesians chapter 5 and you got a life uh, goal right there. But have you thought that through? You're thinking of going to college, or maybe you're thinking of not going to college and going right into trade. Have you asked questions? Have you carefully considered through the situation? Have you considered through what Scripture has to say? Scripture, what does Scripture have to do with that? It has to do a lot with that, because what's your idol of life? Is it your career? Is it what you're going to? It talks about money, how you're going to be handling your finances through the whole process, all kinds of things that are going. Let me add to that. You're thinking about your career. Have you asked the questions and carefully considered through things? And have you searched scripture in it? Or you're pursuing a new job or you're putting together a financial budget for your family or you're trying to work through how do I parent the child or children that the Lord has entrusted into my or our care? You're trying to figure out and thinking through buying a home or buying a car. Have you thought through scripture on some of those kinds of things as well? You're thinking of a geographic move or you're thinking of trying to find a local church to be a part of. Have you asked the right questions? Have you considered the situation? Have you, do you know scripture on what scripture says about being a part of a local church? And here's another one. Someone is telling you their story. And they're asking for your help, like the Gibeonites. Are you asking the questions? Are you considering through the scenario and what's going on? And sometimes we call it like halo data, even picking up what's their eyes and what's happening in the scenario and what are they putting off? And here, obviously, the situation, the clothes that's going on, socks on their donkeys, you know, that kind of stuff. I know, are you thinking through what scripture has to say about it? Here's what I would answer uh, in this question. Were Joshua and the leaders doing all three? Yes. They were. They were doing all three of those. They were asking good questions. We saw that. We read that in the text. They, uh, within those questions, they're carefully considering through the whole scenario of what's going on. And third, they are also thinking through scripture. Wait a second, if you're within this realm, we can't do that. But if you're outside of that realm, we can do that and work this on out through. I think they were right on track, but verse 14b. They did not seek the counsel of the Lord. Some of your translations will say they did not inquire of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, I don't have to bring Hebrew in to explain what that these words mean. It's just really simple, really plain, really on the table. Here's what happened. They were doing everything right, but they forgot one thing. They forgot the big lean. They forgot to do the lean on into the Lord hard. You know, it's like I can stand here and I can stand okay, but if I'm leaning against the wall and I'm doing the lean and all of a sudden the wall pulls out, guess what? Kawam. They weren't leaning into the Lord. I see nowhere in here that pride was an issue. I don't see anywhere in here that we were like, yeah, we just won AI. Oh, and, you know, when we were up at Shechem and we had this awesome worship service. Oh, and now we're like awesome. And now we start making decisions on our own. <coughs> I don't see anywhere where the scriptures are giving that idea. I don't see arrogance in this. I don't see lackadaisicalness in this, if that's a word. I, I, they forgot the lean. And it's just what the scripture says. They forgot to ask the counsel of the Lord. 
And I'm just saying for all of us, and for me, I'll just tell you straight up, this haunts me. Because as a leader here, as one of the leaders here, I just sit back and in there, as a leader there, I go, oh my, have we at times been doing the three and not doing the big lean? And it's the same for you. Are you going through life, follower of Christ, and doing the right stuff with the right questions, using wisdom to pick up the scenario of what's going on? even thinking through the light of, and lens of Scripture, but simply forgetting to go, God, I need you in this. I want to tell you, do you see how that is just a huge change of direction? I mean, what should they have done? Should they have gone out and had this big Sheka meeting where everybody comes together and they look for writing in the sky? Yes! Or no, from God going on. No, it may have been a good idea to try that if they wanted to. But I think this is just a simple kind of a thing to where what should have happened in this scenario is, is Joshua and the leaders, they get in a huddle and they come over to this place and they're like, guys, we've been asking the questions where this is how I'm seeing the whole thing. And out of Deuteronomy, Moses told us to handle this with it. Guys, we, we, God, we need to come to you right now. And we beseech you, we fall before you, Lord. We need your help on this because we only have so much wisdom, God. Would you help us in this to discern, to ask the right questions? Maybe some we're missing to know what's going on because something's a little funky here and we're not getting the full straight up. And God, we need your help. We need your wisdom, Lord. They missed that. And so I ask of you and I, are you missing that right now in your life? There's a humility. It's just a realization. I don't have the ability to get it all. And we go back to what Joshua did. Fall down, face to the ground. Lord, what does, my, what does your servant have to do for you? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And hear this. Do not lean on your own understanding. You hear that? Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. You can be right on with scripture and we bypass the God, come into this and make it clear for us. They didn't Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 it. They didn't take it to the table in the past as we've talked about prayer and take it to the table between the son and the father and the spirit, the word of God on the table and just kind of that image in our head. God, I'm coming to your table, Lord. Give me, give us wisdom. Or you can look on our bulletin and on the back of it, our fourth pillar, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. Easy to say, easy to not do.
verse 16. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. Do you hear that? It wasn't like right after the decision, they were like, oh, now I got it. Oops. It was three days later. They're like, what? What? They're Hivites? Verse 17, and the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chepherah, Beeroth, and Kirith-Jerim. Those are the four cities that are up on the screen in that territory that came. But the people of Israel did not attack them, but the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. It's hard to lead sometimes, and especially when you mess up. I just want for you to know straight up, as leadership, we're going to mess up. We're going to. I hope that doesn't surprise you. Times we're going to get to where we, uh, we lean on self too much. And by the way, so are you. And I understand why they would murmur. I think maybe there's two reasons why they murmured about this. One, if you're thinking on the worst of the situation, it could have been that they're like, dudes, do you have any idea, leaders, what you just did? Those four cities that we could have gotten the plunder from, you just took our plunder. You just ruined my 401k. That's what potentially could have happened. Uh, let's take the positive side. The positive side is, is guys, you're leaders. And we knew this. I mean, we knew what Moses said, and you missed it, guys, and we're held accountable. And they're like, yep, we missed it. But you know what? We gave our oath. We gave our word, even though it was wrong, even though we missed it, we messed up. The fact of the matter is we gave our word on this. Man, I got to say, way to go leaders there. They fessed up. They made a right before the Lord. And they moved on knowing that a sovereign God can even use our mess-ups for his glory. By the way, do you know that these people who are going to be hanging around in this, in this passage, and we'll see the rest of the story in chapter 10 next week, but do you realize these people, nowhere in Scripture do we see the Gibeonites coming back and being jerks on the Israelites? I just have to say, how cool is that? God isn't like, you know what, you messed up? Watch this. I'm going to have them all come back and like kill you. God in his grace even when we mess up, still uses this scenario. And on top of that, these people, and for some centuries to come, are now going to have the opportunity to live among the Israelites who worship and live for Yahweh. And now they have the opportunity to have that exposure. And I just got to tell you, God is very, very kind. Very cool. Let's read through the rest. Verse 19, but all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. In other words, we gave our word, yeah, we messed up, but you know what? We, we can't wrong it again. Verse 20, this we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us uh, because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of, uh, of them. Verse 22, Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us? Don't you just feel the sadness? Dude, you punked us. Why? 
Look at their answer. Why do you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood, drawers of water of the house of my God. And they answered, Joshua, look at this, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and we did this thing. I'm like, I could understand that, especially as being ones who don't really care about Yahweh. But I will say this, there's still a beginning fear of the Lord here. Verse uh, 25, and now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord, to this day in the place that he should choose. Hey, I just want for you to know we all mess up. I mean, as warriors seeking to honor the Lord, we all mess up. And that includes church leaders. That includes all of us. And we bypass the big lean. We don't take it to the table. We don't fourth pillar it. And we bypass it. And I want to let you know here, I understand where these guys are at. And I'm grateful for God's grace. What could have happened? And you know what? If, it, if they had just paused and asked the Lord, maybe the Lord would have had them ask a few better questions, such as, why is this delegation coming from this place, from a country? Why is this delegation coming? And it's, they don't even have enough food to go back. What ambassadors would be okay with eating old, stale, crusty bread? Listen, in the history of the day, none of that would have happened into some of these national leaders like this? Why didn't they ask the question that they, they made enough, they didn't even have enough to get here, let alone to get back in all this? Uh, why didn't they ask the poor attire about it more? It's like, don't you understand? Ambassadors understand first impression is key. And here these guys come with beat up clothes. Dudes, what's your issue, man? Either you really did come from a long way or something's a little bit wrong here. Or maybe God would have brought up in their minds, it's like, listen guys, I'm telling you, you remember from Deuteronomy chapter 20, where it says that they practice abominable practices? Guess what? You got one right in front of you right now. I don't know. But we just know this out of the text. They didn't stop, and they didn't pause, and they didn't bring the Lord into it. So in the, just in the last couple of minutes, four quick things. Number one, practical things. Number one, keep alert. This is not your home. I just want to remind us, keep alert. This is not our home. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. We live in a sin-cursed world. Why are we surprised when people lie? Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised uh, when people will abuse and use God's word in wrong kind of ways? Be aware of that. Be aware of the potential of that. Uh, Beware of the potential that, yeah, there will be people that will abuse the Lord's church. There will be. We need to be wise with that. That doesn't mean we don't get involved, but keep alert. This is not your home if you know Christ. Secondly, use your God-given brain. And I mean that in an encouraging kind of a way. 
Listen, God gave us the ability to ask questions and perceive a situation that's going on. And God's given us the intellect to be able to go to his word and think it and work it through. And I just want to encourage us, listen, don't be the kind of people who are like, let go, let God. There, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that. We're to be people that are engaged with the Lord, engaged with his word, engaged with life, engaged with the world, but not of the world. So use our God-given brain. Third, lean hard into the Lord. Lean hard into the Lord. This has just been good for me. I had a phone meeting, uh, on a board thing, a phone meeting, and just in part of it, just this text came back. Wait a second, guys, these are good things, good talks going on, but let's just do this. Let's just bring it before the Lord and make sure that we are saying, God, we want you in on this. And James chapter 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all liberally without reproach and it will be given. God wants to give us wisdom, but he's also not cramming himself into our scenarios because he wants us to worship him. Invite him in and lean hard into him forth. Hey, if you've messed up, welcome to the team. Get up after messing up. Get up. Let's confess it to the Lord. Let's learn from it. Let's help each other. But get up and get after it. Because the Lord's going to do his thing. And he's gracious and he's kind. And I want to say this in closing. If you're right now in a life situation that's going on and you're kind of like, you know what? I have been asking the questions. I have been considering the situation. I have actually even been thinking scripture in this scenario. But man, I haven't paused and ask the Lord in. It's an accountability thing. As elders, we just have a thing with Paul and Larry and JC and myself to where when we come to a place on some key things for decisions and we meet three out of four Monday evenings a month. I don't know if you know that, but these guys put a lot of time into what's going on. And in that, we just have an ongoing deal to where if we come to a point to where we're in consensus on something, we don't make the decision thing that night. We say, okay, it's looking like we're going to go this way. Let's pause. We'll get back together next week and we're going to confirm it. Why? Because of this principle. Because it's easy to run ahead of the Lord and not bring him along. So we have to work on it and we have to work on it together. God, I want to thank you for the time and your word and just your graciousness to us. I want to thank you that you have equipped us with your word and also with the brain to be able to perceive and do life. And I pray that we would engage them all. And Lord, even when we do that, when we consider through the scenarios and we consider through your word, it's very easy for us to lose that critical step of just kind of stepping to the side in our minds and just bringing it before you and inviting you in. And Lord, there may be times where we just need to do that and grab someone we know and say, hey, would you just pray with me and do that? Lord, if there's someone today who wants to come after the service, we've got some people down here and, and just say, hey, would you pray with me? And I just, I've been leaving the Lord out of this scenario and do that. I'd pray that would happen or we'd cluster around. We'd help each other with this, Lord. We get running when we should be walking sometimes. And I just pray we'd humble ourselves and realize it's all about you and you are the source. And so we fall down before you 
We ask for your help. May we seek the counsel of the Lord.